0: Talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Cubits 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us on another beautiful day in the Valley today. And time now for our play by play call of the day. Phillies fans, cover your ears. Howie Rose with Yoenis Cespinus
0: at the plate drum roll please here's the 1-1 one, one to Cespedes hit deep to left field home run number three is on the way and there she goes into the lower deck in left field and now Cespedes in five innings has hit three home runs
1: and then the Phillies cracked down on him and he hit no more the rest of the night that's our play-by-play call of the day Phillies will be back in action of course and don't forget, they'll also be on uh, Friday with a wipeout our show when they play on the play the Washington Nationals. Interesting timing on that. Maybe because it's Good Friday, maybe? They're playing a 4 o'clock game? I don't know. All right, uh, let's get to Frank Baudet, New York Daily Record. Frank, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Uh, I asked Donnie Collins this yesterday, day before, and I said, you know, based on all you know, the teleconferences, the interviews, and you've listened to these players, I asked him what kind of read he was getting. So I'll ask you the same kind of uh, the same question: What kind of read are you getting on this team based on what you're hearing?
2: Uh, I think the, the gauge is that they have a lot more confidence, and they're a lot more comfortable with their team, their offense, than they were this time a year ago. I mean, second year for Joe Moorhead. All the success they had last year. Um, not that they're—I don't know. I get the sense that they're overconfident. Just that, hey, we know what we can do. So that means then we know better what we can do now to make it—you know—to make it better, to make us better. They seem really confident. Starting with like Mike and, um Nick Scott, and those guys we talked to this week.
1: So you, you mentioned something in that answer, Frank. I want to explore a bit more because a year ago. Joe Moorhead was installing his offense first year. Mm-hmm. Brent Pry been on the staff, but installing what he wanted to do defensively. And Matt Limegrover and Tim Banks had just joined the staff. In your opinion, what kind of difference does it make that now it's the second year of this instead of trying to go through a first year?
2: Well, I think two things. I think because it was the first year last spring, I don't think either side, players or coaches, knew exactly what they wanted to do and exactly how to do it until the game started, right? So in the Minnesota game, you had Joe Moorhead even admitting that, you know, at that point, we decided we had to make, we had to tweak the offense. We had to get Trace running more. And all of a sudden, you saw the difference, right? Even in the second half of that game. Right. And it was that they knew kind of... I mean, they obviously, they these guys are smart. They know what they want, but how to make that happen until you start playing the parts for a few weeks. Now they know. Okay, so now, a year later, they already know what works. Joe's really smart and bright with how then to take what he already has and build upon it. You don't have to... Figure stuff out. They're done figuring it out, I think. Huge, huge advantage for them, I would think, moving forward.
1: Moving forward, there are also going to be a couple rules to discuss in in all of this. And one is they're talking about approving an early signing period the third Wednesday in December and then a 10th assistant coach for college football. Let's deal with each one individually. What uh, difference do you think having an early signing period—the third Wednesday of December—will make to go in conjunction with the first Wednesday of February?
2: Um, that's a good good point. Um, you know, I have I'm not really sure as far as Penn State is concerned. Um, you know, I don't think Penn State, at least typically, has lost a lot of guys at the end of the recruiting cycle or necessarily even picks up a lot of guys That's true. as of late at the end of the cycle they seem to steadily and it was even before James Franklin took over, this isn't just something recent to me at least, it seems like they steadily build their class, they do a very good job of recruiting guys once they already are committed and I think they really hone in on not just the players on the field but the kind of kids they want to begin with so I think there's a lot less Uh, Instability as the recruiting process Mm -hmm. moves on with their guys. Um, So I don't know. I think it's probably better for overall college football that you don't have maybe the biggest programs deciding in January. Hey, we don't. We could get somebody better here at the end. So we're going to keep flipping, trying to flip kids from other programs that are verbally committed. You know, maybe that's the best thing in all. Penn State doesn't seem to do a whole lot of that either way, so probably good for college football. I don't know if it'll change much for Penn State.
1: Then the next one is, they're talking about adding a 10th uh, assistant coach, which is also part of the same package of proposals they'll vote on. Uh, that, If it's approved, I'm not sure if that 10th coach starts this season, or there was also something of possibility it would start in January 9th of 2018. What kind of difference can a 10th coach make? On a staff, uh,
2: I, Well, I, I guess it helps because James Franklin has already been on record saying that, you know, if you're looking at coaches per player ratio, college football is still pretty out of sorts when it comes to that. <laughs> to, exactly. To that. There's way too many players compared to coaches. Um, you know, Penn State, you got another coach. You look at maybe then you have a guy who would just be special teams and wouldn't have to worry about necessarily another position to coach and um i I don't i I don't know the grand scheme of how it would help your individual program just make it i think better life you know better life for um the the kids on campus Mm -hmm. things are not split so much um apart guys responsibilities um Penn State fans have always wondered about special teams. You know, that's always been a big question for them. You know, and Charles Huff right now has to do that, but he's also coaching the running back. Right. Um, So, you know, I'm sure it would make life easier on these guys.
1: Probably would add also, you know, the recruiting is, there's so much in recruiting, and probably a 10th coach comes in there, and they probably are right there in the thick of doing something like that. It puts another official body out there.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's a
1: good point. Uh, there's The next part is this. Michigan is going to have its spring game coming up on Saturday. But they also have three more practices after that. Their three practices will be in Italy. Uh, <laughs> he does something different every year. Last year was IMG. This right. time, This time they're trying to see if they can rent some space at the Vatican. So <laughs> what do you think of a... A college football team or a spring practice being taken to another part of the world?
2: Uh football wise to me, it means absolutely nothing. I mean I, <laughs> that's right I, you know, I mean, it's Jim Harball style and way to create energy and it, uh, interest and maybe you know recruiting wise kids out there see that these this is what if you go to Michigan, this is some of the benefits and bonuses you have. I I don't know It seems to me Like you're spending I mean I I I don't know I guess if the kid Gets a great experience By going to Italy How do you fault that Right I mean you never These are things That you come up In your life early on You may never get a chance To do again Right Um i don't know i think that you know look at the hass not hassle look at the extreme effort to go to play a game in ireland that penn state had to go through right that would make coaches probably say you know i don't know if we really want to do that ever again <laughs> i can't i, I just it, i guess the, the biggest response i have to this is gosh how does michigan pull this stuff off to, with the extent of the extra work and manpower and everything else that goes mm-hmm. along with these trips, it just—I guess—that's got kind of them surprising to me. Half off to them for being able to do it, right?
1: And I mean, look, basketball does it. You're allowed to do it once every four years. Uh, I know, for example, the Penn State women's volleyball program. Russ Rose has taken them to Brazil. He has taken them to Cuba. Sure. So other programs have done this for for years. Uh, now, I've never agreed with it, but that doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. to me, you know uh, i mean i re- I understand the you know let's let's take for example, the women's volleyball team. they go to Cuba, okay, well, that's an experience unto itself, just like the baseball team went to Cuba, okay. Uh, the men's basketball team, I think, went to Belgium, but I also think they went. Uh, they took side trips to Normandy and things like that. Mm-hmm. The basketball was all a side side uh, part of it. I've never been in favor of this stuff. I kind of felt that it was just using ex- sports as an excuse to take a trip, but that's just me. <laughs> so. It
2: depends, I guess, what you're doing there now. It's a lot easier to take a volleyball team than a basketball team somewhere where you have no 15, doubt. 20 guys right. and hardly any equipment. I mean, football is a lot different. You have to take Uh, goal posts.
1: (laughs) You have to take goal posts, yard markers, chains. you got to take the whole boat. You have to take a a play clock with you. I'm sorry, but in Italy, they don't have that stuff.
2: Yeah, I guess it's, well, you know, financially, can you do it? And how are you doing it? I think people have questions, especially at Penn State after the last five years. How does that make sense? Um, And then... What is actually what are the, what are the students getting out of it from that cultural experience? I mean, is it just a, an excuse, like you said, to go away, or is, that, or is there really something that kind of would think? I know this sounds maybe crazy to some, but like, what do they have to to do to get back from this trip? What are they forced to kind of? Learn, and I mean, is there academic right. things that they need to kind of fulfill for this? You think there would be a learning experience, a give and take though
1: And I don't know the Michigan calendar, so I don't know if they're off classes. You know, they're in between mm-hmm. finals are done. I don't know what their right. calendar is at Michigan, right? In order to go over and do this, because it's more than just three practices. You have to have the three practices spread out over a week, so you are gone for an entire week. It just, you know, I mean, there's no, yeah. there is no there is no recruiting advantage to this. Other than the fact no, that I'm like,
2: getting kids from Italy,
1: <laughs> there's this great, Kickers, this great kicker we saw in Nice, yeah. over right. in, over in France. Good news, right? Mm-hmm, Better mm-hmm. than the kid in Milan yeah. we saw. Great, right? Fabulous, <laughs> Frank. It's always a pleasure.
2: Oh, my, my, hey, I love to do it. Love to talk to you. So I hope to get a chance to do it again.
1: Thanks, Frank. Take good care.
2: All right. Have a great day.
1: Frank Bodani, York Daily Record. We'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
3: It's April, and you know what that means. Time for the Spring Savings Event at Sunbury Motors Kia. want to see you again. online. April is the best time to buy your next vehicle at Sunbury Motors Kia. During the Spring Savings Event, you can save over $4,000 on 2017 Serranos and all remaining 2016 Optimus. Or you can save $3,000 on a 2017 Kia Forte. If you're looking for low payments, how about 0% financing for 66 months? Need to save money on gas? Then get to SMC and check out the 50 mile per gallon Nero FE. Starting at 23895 Plus, you get Kia's 10-year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. So what are you waiting for? It's the Spring Savings Event going on now at Sunbury Motors Kia, on the Strip, at Hummel's Wharf, and at sunburymotors.com. Tax and tags, extra. Zero percent financing to well my customers through KMF restrictions supplies. Warranty is a limited power train warranty. For details, see retailer or go to kia.com.
1: Great to have you with us on the show today. Just a quick announcement. Um, as always, Eagle one oh seven is your home for Bucknell Sports. We are not negotiating a deal to carry to Albright.
4: What are you laughing about? That was good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just thought I'd throw it in there. Glad you did. Uh, I mean, to only be. Look. I mean, just because you and I are now planning to go to a, a track meet to watch Paul Volt for no apparent reason. Is there a track meet on May 3rd? You're looking it up, I can tell.
4: Well, he'll still be. A- Next month, he'll still be a senior in high school. So, you know, or you mean for Danville Track? I'd have to look it up, Danville Track.
1: Oh, yeah, look it up. I mean, this could be a golden opportunity that when the show is over, we make a guest appearance and suit light freaks. I think there are people that showed up to see him besides. What are the people in Danville going to do on Friday nights? Other than chant, free at last, free at last, thank goodness we're free at last. <laughs> oh, come on, there's got to be. got to be one. Has to be. And he's looking it up to see. But, uh... See, St. Louis is suing the NFL and thirty-two teams over the Rams moving. Well, you know what? Good for them. Because you know, there was a guy I actually I wanted to suggest to you to get on the show. Just to talk about it, about a relocation, but the twentieth anniversary of the of the last game of the Whalers in Hartford. It was Twenty years ago, Jeff Jacobs of the Hartford Current. Covered that franchise for years. I was wondering if he's a guy that we could get on the show. What do you think, Sean? Let's do it. It, it would feed in. You know, it would feed into this relocation deal. And look, the NFL has had three now in a fifteen-month span. And the Chargers leave San Diego. They were there since nineteen sixty-one. So you're talking about a franchise 56 years they spent in San Diego. 56. The Raiders, two different stints. Now, the Rams weren't in St. Louis that long, but the Rams were in St. Louis for over 20 years. They they go to Los Angeles. Chargers go. The Raiders are going to go to... Las Vegas. This is the National Football League. And it's also, for example, when it comes to attendance, how disingenuous Peter Carmanos was about declaring the attendance at Whalers game, not including the fans that were in luxury suites, but they don't count. About the governor getting involved and botching it about another governor getting involved who eventually, for a different issue, ended up going to jail. I think it's a fascinating conversation that we could have with Jeff Jacobs of the uh, Hartford Current. So that would be my charge to you, to see if we can get him on the show to talk about it.
4: We'll get working on it. Absolutely. By the way, Danville Track and Field, uh, no meet on May 3rd. They take on Montoursville the day before on May 2nd.
1: Oh, yeah, and, that's too and, bad. And then they're idle
4: until the conference meet on the 13th. And then districts on the 20th, and then states at Shippensburg on Memorial Day weekend.
1: That's too bad. I had high hopes of you and me going. <laughs>
4: Imagine
1: the look of the suit's face if we showed up. Oh, i have been priceless. It would have been absolutely priceless. In fact, we could have like recorded the last hour of the show, gone up there. When he's supposed to be working, and see him standing there. <laughs> <clears throat> now we could take a picture of it, and we could send it back to Roger. Look, he's making digital media sales at a track. <laughs> no, bad. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never saw anybody have so many appointments in Danville during the course of a spring. <laughs> At least he's not at the movies. Uh, oh, well, no, that's okay. I mean, Movie Mike, I mean, he's seen fewer movies than The Suit. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
4: Uh, yeah, that is the big question. The, the the next the next in the series of the Fast and the Furious movies will be out this weekend for Easter uh, holiday. Who, who will see okay. it first, Movie Mike or The Suit? Uh,
1: look, let's be honest about it. This is, what is it, technically, Fast and Furious 8?
4: It's number 8, yes.
1: All the other questions weren't answered in the first seven?
4: <laughs> I guess in a nutshell, Vin Diesel, he turns heel in this movie, and The Rock's going after him. I guess that's kind of what I'm gathering from the trailers that I've been seeing since... Man, since the trailers have been on since, like, last November.
1: <laughs> It'll be the number one movie for the weekend. Now, I actually watched a movie the other night... Um, Actually, I've, I went to the movies and I saw The Zookeeper's Wife a couple weeks ago. Very, very good. And then on video, I, I saw Patriot's Day the other night. Yeah, and the Coming up on the four-year anniversary of the uh, Boston Marathon bombing. That was very good, very realistic. Fast and Furious, what, what did you say, 22, 23, how many there? <laughs> it's number eight. Yeah, I might as well say 22 or 23. Sure. Is there any, does anybody do any original work anymore?
0: Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: All right, great to have you with us. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, k 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Actually, Sean and I just discussed these sports bozos of the day. You went on Twitter to get a hold of Jeff Jacobs of the Hartford Current, and he was at Dunkin Donuts Stadium last night in Hartford.
4: That's right. You were in that part of the woods I remember last July and you were sharing an interesting story about the <laughs> about the stating the state funding up there to get that park up and running.
1: It's just I mean uh, There are 50 of these states. There can't be any one of the 49 that are run worse than this place. (laughs) Okay? I mean, seriously. Well, last year they're building Dunkin' Donuts Park, which is in Hartford. And you could see it from I-91. And when I did the games, I did a three-game series in Connecticut at, uh, at Dodd Stadium. And the Hartford Yard Goats had to play some of their schedule there, so I wanted I wanted to find out why. Well, they ran out of money last year, and so they stopped building the ballpark. We're out of money. Everybody stop! We're out of money. Well, they finally did come up with the money, and they finished it. So last night, the Hartford Hawks played a baseball game against Quinnipiac really is a run through for tonight's opening game in uh, the Double A Eastern League. And how did it go, Sean?
4: 20 minute delay,
1: power outage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm t- Jeff Jacobs I'm was tweeting
4: a- pictures from the dark stadium last night. <laughs>
1: Nothing in that state has gone right since they took the charter and they hit it in an oak. Okay, that was the last clever thing that state did. Wait, <laughs> mean, that's it. Unreal. Gino Oriyama has been able to sur- survive and thrive in spite of them. <laughs> oh.
4: Yeah, like what Jacobs tweeted last night from uh, 18 hours ago of evidently choppers chewed through the wiring at Dunkin' Donuts Park. Light still out. What did? Chompers. What did? Choo-choo. <laughs> Choo-choo-chooed through the wiring. <laughs> here, choo-choo. Oh, my goodness. Choo-choo, and we're not talking train here.
1: <laughs> well, part of the problem is, is this. in that I'm talking about that state, which is different than this state. It would be like everything in this state having to revolve around Harrisburg. I mean, that would be the equivalent. In other words, you'd have to have a pro team in Harrisburg. You'd have to have uh, all your baseball, you know, at key events. Everything would have to be there all the time. And that's not the case in the state. you got big stuff happening in Pittsburgh, big stuff happening in Philadelphia, even big stuff happening here in State College in the central part of the state. scranton Wilkesbury has some big things going on. But in that state where there is... Uh, A real economic divide between southwestern Connecticut, where there is a ton of money. I mean, so many stockbrokers who work in New York live in that area versus the rest of the state that has to, for the most part, grind it out. And the problem that, for example, let's take the Whalers. The Whalers could convince anybody in greater Hartford to go watch them play. I don't care whether it was Hartford, West Hartford, Glastonbury, Simsbury, Farmington, Enfield, East Windsor, Middletown, whatever. They could get people in that area that were really into it. But they could not get Norwich, New Haven, Bridgeport, Waterbury. And Waterbury back then, Waterbury, New Haven, and Bridgeport—you know—they're all cities with more than a hundred thousand in population. And Hartford is not the largest city in the state; it's the capital. It's in the center of the state, but it's not the largest city in the state population-wise. And they couldn't get the other population centers into what was going on there. Well. The minor league baseball team had been in New Britain, was actually in Bristol first. They moved to New Britain. They were in New Britain for a long, long time, and then they finally decided, look, we're going to put this thing in Hartford. Again, same thing. And just like the state botched up the Patriots, and the Patri- and they really did botch the Patriots. They botched it. They had them. They had the Patriots. And you they couldn't move a steam plant. Couldn't do it. I'm the governor of that state, I'm out there with the bulldovers of the next morning saying, everybody just get out of the way we'll figure it out. All right. How about St. Louis suing the NFL and the other 32 teams? And they're talking about the economic impact in the area, which we've talked about with teams. And they're going for some big numbers in this. Uh, They are suing. Let's see, 1.85. They say they lost an estimated 1.85 million, and actually between 1.85 million and 3.5 million is what they estimate that they lost in amusement and ticket tax collections. They say they also lost $7.5 million in property taxes. They say in total, the city will have lost St. Louis by losing the Rams $100 million in net proceeds. That's a big number. Now, the interesting thing is, is that when it comes to the stadium, remember the Raiders... And, of course, they have the option to stay for two years, and it's their option. It's not the stadium. It is not the city. The Raiders have the option to stay in Oakland in each of the next two years. There so two one-year options for 17 and 18. And the Raiders, all they have to do is say, yeah, we're staying, and they, they, nobody has any choice. And I pointed out in that 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 the Coliseum claims that they'll actually lose money by the Raiders playing there. I don't know why, but that's what they claim. They claim that they'll actually be able to recoup $7.5 million in each of the next two years if they don't play there. I don't know if it's maintenance or if it's... uh, Who knows? I don't know what the... Laundry list is that gets them to that number. They claim that they make seven and a half million, but having the Raiders cost eight and a half million, so they lose a million. Okay, that's what they claim. St. Louis will tell you that as an entity, they're losing a hundred million net a year by losing the Rams to Los Angeles. I don't know. I probably think it's safe
4: to say when Stan Kroenke first heard that story within the last 24 hours, he probably just got a good
1: laugh out of it. <laughs> uh, well, S- Stan's not even the richest person in his own house. so <laughs> I mean, he is worth billions of dollars, but he's married to Ann Walton. I mean, just think every time you see a smiley face, you're helping the Rams. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, down the stretch we come. And coming up tomorrow, we'll talk about the NFL draft. The question now is, are the Browns considering not going with Miles Garrett out of Texas A&M, the big defensive end, and are they actually considering Mitchell Trubisky, the quarterback from North Carolina? I, uh, I don't know.
4: Uh, it, I think the question every- would be... Which player, Garrett or Trubisky, is higher on their draft board? So I guess it'd be a no-brayer. Uh, I guess it'd be a no-brainer. Whoever's whichever player gets the higher grade will be you know, Trubisky. If they grade him higher than than Garrett, he'd be your number one. Plus, we've known for a long time they've had a need at quarterback.
1: Well, they have a need at quarterback. The the, the question is, do you think um,
4: Trubinsky would be there at twelve? But it's kind of 50-50. It depends on which draft expert and analyst you talk to. Some think he's going to be off the board at t- by 12, or some think he'll be there.
1: Or else you could make a trade and move up. Or you get Garrett, and then... Because now you have to do a, play a guessing game as to whether the 49ers want him. Or maybe you want Deshaun Watson. I don't know. Um...
4: It's just going to be interesting within the first two rounds, you know,
1: I when, don't when, the, when
4: the run of quarterbacks is going to start.
1: Well, the run of quarterbacks starting in the first round. Okay? I mean, the run of quarterbacks is starting in the first round. Uh, the um, It's a league where everybody's desperate to find one.
4: And... It's always intriguing following the draft when, when a specific player in a position goes and then, then the trickle-down happens.
1: Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, once somebody picks one, then the others that we're considering are saying, well, we better get ours now. That seems to happen a lot at that position where suddenly there's a run on a spot Uh, like I said, I think there are 20 to 24 actual first-round picks in this draft. That really would be a first considered a first-rounder in any draft. There are not 32 of them. But I also think that this is a draft, especially at certain positions, where there is great depth, where you're going to end up with some good football players who each have an opportunity to play for a long time. Not great, but good. And maybe there'll be a couple in there that end up being great. I mean, because you know, just because you're in the first round doesn't mean you're a great player. It's one thing we talk about all the time, but I'll get into it here. Actually, we talk about it some. Nobody else talks about it ever. I never hear anybody talk about this, what I'm about to talk about. I never do. I never see anybody write about it. I never see anybody talk, I never hear anybody talk about it. In high school, coaches can be patient as players learn the game, get a little bit better at it, and every player develops on their own clock. In the pros, you better be able to play right away into some way, shape, or form. You may be the third or fourth receiver, but then by your second or third year, you're in the you're one of the top two wideouts. You may come in the league as a high draft pick, and you're the nickelback initially, and then eventually transition into that second or third or fourth year as the starting safety. If you can't, if if you don't show signs of developing quick enough, They move on to the next one right away. There is no clock in your development. But in college, there's a major difference. And this is the part that's not written about, and this is the part that is not talked about. In college, you may come in as a five-star, a four-star, a three-star, which people who love and follow recruiting get into so much, the stars, but when you walk onto that campus, you know what you are? When you walk into that camp, you are a no-star. That's where your clock starts. Can you then start working yourself by the end of your career to be a five-star performer? Which then opens the door for you to be in the National Football League. And you can, and every player that's been the star player or one of the top two players on their team and are usually one of the top two players in every game they play in high school suddenly walk out there and there's comparable talent out there. Those who can make the jump from high school to college successfully are the ones that can handle the comparable talent right away because guess what, they're just really, really good and they know how to play. But then there are other people that take a little bit to get the adjustment. And maybe by the third season, it starts to fall into place. The game gets slower. They've learned a little trick of the trade here or there. Uh, The weight room has made a difference. They've made up ground on other people as time has gone. They haven't plateaued. Everybody is on their own development clock in life. Just like everybody's on their own five-year development clock at a college football program. You're on your own clock. Those who get to play right away, they've been able to somehow accelerate the clock. But that doesn't mean that you're left behind. In college, you're given time. So by your third or fourth year, suddenly you become a contributor. Maybe by your third or fourth year, you go from contributor to star. This year, there's going to be an intriguing guy in the draft out of Northwestern. Austin Carr, a wide receiver. It's a walk-on at Northwestern. Buried on the depth chart as a freshman. Buried on the depth chart as a sophomore. Starts to play a little bit as a junior. He is everything. I mean, he is the entire passing game as a senior. I've often told the story of Dion Butler, Jordan Norwood, Derek Williams. A five-star gray shirt and a walk-on. All three ended up in the NFL. Everybody is on their own development clock. I mean, think about your own lives. There are some youngsters, for example, that walk quicker than others. Well, he or she walked at eight and a half months. He or she walked at 14 months. Well, how do you know the one that walked at 14 months isn't going to be an Olympic sprinter? Well, well, he or she talked at... Again, talking and saying full word full words at pick a number. You know, fifteen months. He or she started saying full words and sentences at twenty-four or thirty months. Well, you know, it's obviously slower than the other one. Who's the other one that doesn't become a great order? I don't know that. Everybody every person in life has their own clock. Some go faster than others, some plateau. College is the one level of football where that really comes into play. Where as quickly as a coach would want you to develop, because they'd like to help right away, there is more time to see how players develop in their own clock, their own time. Sometimes the light just goes on later for others. And they, then they turn out to have, and also they go to the next level, and they turn out and they have a great career. I mean, Terrell Davis was no star at Georgia. But he didn't carry the ball that much at Georgia. He got to the NFL. He made the Hall of Fame. Remember Rich Malott here? Rich Malott was a running back, moved into the linebacker, he got picked up by the Redskins.
0: You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.